1: Hello listeners, welcome back to New Books in Jewish Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Amber Nickel, the host of the channel, and today we are going to be talking with Katya Grossozoma and Barbara Klotschman about their most recent publication, If This is a Woman, Studies on Women and Gender in the Holocaust, which came out just recently on Academic Studies Press. Katya is a project coordinator at Zentoropa, and she has an MA in Holocaust and Genocide Studies from the University of Amsterdam. Uh, Borbola, who we're gonna refer to as Bori for the rest of this discussion, just recently completed her PhD in the Department of History at the University of Szeged, as a member and is a member of the Hungarian Research Group of Yad Vashem. She holds two master's degrees, one of which is from Central European University and she just recently had a child. So we may hear a little bit of uh, baby in the background, which I think we all welcome. Bori and Katya, welcome to the channel. I'm really excited to discuss this text with you
2: all today. Thank you, Amber. We're excited to talk Thank about Thank you it. very much
0: for the invitation. <laughs>
1: I want to start out this discussion with a conversation about some of your motivations. Can you share with listeners today a little bit about what motivated you to compile, if this is a Woman" studies on gender and the Holocaust?
2: Yeah. So, um, um, the, if this is a woman is a volume in which we're collecting papers that were presented at the conference that uh, Bori and I organized together with uh, Denisa Nestakova and Jakub Drabek and Anna Ulrich, actually, in, in Bratislava in January 2019. So we were at Comenius uh, University. Um, and yeah, basically, we had started thinking about this conference after we had wor- worked together previously. I think we really enjoyed the, the way we as a group work together in a very supportive atmosphere as young researchers, right? Um, and we had the opportunity to organize this conference um, as part of the conference cycle at Comenius uh, University. And uh, I guess we were coming, or at least I was coming from a little bit of a situation of frustration. Yeah? We were getting, uh, we were in contact with say, a more established also often male, older researchers and, we were just a little bit frustrated, you know, we we're just kind of sick of not being seen so much. And we just got kind of, you know, productively angry slightly. And uh, we thought, OK, let's let's do a conference together with a team that we really enjoy working at on a topic that we find really important. And uh, and that's basically how we got to the topic of um, organizing a conference on, on women and gender in the Holocaust. Um, which is how we ended up organizing the the conference, and uh, and then we decided to um, publish a volume based off the contributions we had there, and uh, and we were like especially especially excited to bring together more like established researchers, um, and really people who have shaped the field of gender and Holocaust and women in the Holocaust, with with young researchers, with people who are doing their PhD. Some I think we have one um, one contribution in there from. Um, woman who at that time was doing her master so we really were interested in this mix
0: of different uh, perspectives of different stages and different topics and also if i may add um, actually i think the initial idea came from denisa Uh, she was the one who wanted to organize a conference on the gender perspective of the holocaust and especially how women uh, perceived things differently during the Holocaust than men and um, our aim was not only bringing together more established researchers and younger ones but also uh, shifting a little bit uh, the geographical uh, focus to uh, Central uh, and Eastern Europe because we believe that um, this area well not today anymore maybe but um it uh, it has been a little bit neglected in Holocaust scholarship, so we wanted to strengthen uh, a bit this focus on East and Central Europe, which I think uh, we managed to do so. Uh, and if you can, if you will read our book, you will see that there are uh, several articles which deal with this territory of uh, of Europe.
1: Yeah, certainly. I mean, um, as somebody who really enjoyed reading the text, I certainly saw this geographic spread with Central, um, particularly uh, emphasis on the Slovak lands, and then also towards Eastern Europe. So you have contributions about uh, Ukraine, for example. So I do see that you guys really put in the effort to have that geographic spread. In your introduction, you briefly explained the evolution and studies of gender in the Holocaust over the past decades. Uh, the first chapter by uh, Dahlia Alfer certainly adds to this. Would you mind telling us a little bit more about how the study of gender and the Holocaust has evolved over the past couple decades or so?
0: Um, yes, um, uh, I believe that gender as a research, both as a research method and as a topic, appeared uh, first in the 1980s in Holocaust studies. And uh, the first major scholars who were dealing with this topic were, for instance, Joan Ringelheim um, who, as we mentioned in uh, the introduction of our volume, she was basically accused of appropriating the Holocaust uh, to satisfy her feminist goals. and later on uh, came Zoe Waxman, Dahlia Offer, uh, Rocha Zeidel, etc. Uh, many um, big names in uh, in the field today, and we are, we are of course trying to add um, new names to the to this uh, important list. Um, and I believe that um, uh, focusing on women. Um, is still very relevant when it comes to gender and the Holocaust, but today um, there are several new aspects of this this, uh, research topic, uh, such as also, for instance, masculinity and how men perceived um, 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 the events differently than women, and uh, uh, the issue of uh, families and children, And nowadays, uh, a very important uh, new aspect is uh, the LGBTQI um, members of the LGBTQI community, who of course didn't call them call themselves like that at that time, but uh, certainly there were uh, sexual minorities uh, who were uh, whose life was. affected by the holocaust so these are i would say these are the new trends uh in uh, in the gendered research of uh, of holocaust of the holocaust
2: i think it's a quite interesting topic because we're i mean even in our collection in our conference we were treating the topic as something new or something alternative but of course as boris said yeah i mean the gendered aspect of the study has appeared in the 1980s, so actually it's 40 years ago. It's quite interesting to see how it's um, how it's developed since then, and what the new aspects are, you know, especially in a field like the Holocaust that is so well researched, right? That has so much funding going into there as well. So it's interesting to see what people are focusing on today if they situate their research um, in the topic of gender and the Holocaust.
1: Yeah, I, uh, I 100% agree. I also uh, think one of the interesting cases, I can't remember if it's in the introduction or a little later that you address, is um, the most recent case of Anna Haikova, where we have um, once again individuals who are looking through the prism of gender and sexuality are being accused of appropriating the Holocaust for some sort of alternate um, path or plan. When well, that's certainly not the case. Uh, I know it's self-evident to many of us, certainly the three of us here in this virtual room. However, would you take a minute to remind readers and listeners why it's so important for us to study the Holocaust via the lens of gender and its many intersectionalities?
2: Yeah. So I think we as uh, authors or editors of this volume, we understand gender as one of the most fundamental categories of human experience, right? So anything that we're talking about... um, (laughs) <laughs> needs to be looked at through the prism of gender. So gender, you know, it shapes obviously not only how we we're, we are experiencing things, but also how events are, are narrated and how they're understood. Um, and so basically any kind of historiography, any kind of description can be enriched if it looks at the perspective of gender. And I think important to to add to that thought is that like gender, gender of course also doesn't mean just women, right? I mean, Bory implied it already. Gender doesn't mean women. Gender is a category that includes more than just the study of women. It can also include the study of men. It can include the study of queer people. It's, it's really about thinking like, what does gender mean for um, people in different historic times? And how does it affect their experience? And how does it affect our experiences, right? Also as researchers or as, um, as people today uh, looking at these historical times,
1: Yeah, um, I certainly 100% agree, of course. Uh, I, you know, I want to build off of that a little bit, because I think one of the interesting things about this collection is that all but one editor and one contributor are female. Um, And you just talked a little bit about uh, how one's own situationality in this process kind of informs the way uh, they think about the past. Um, would you both be willing to share with us a little bit today about how your own positionality in the world as, as female researchers might have contributed to the way that you're thinking about the Holocaust?
0: Oh, this is a good question. <laughs> um, for me, to be honest, I'm, I'm not a gender uh, researcher. I don't... Uh, I didn't do gender studies during my PhD. Uh, I was focusing on uh, on uh, micro, the microhistory of the Holocaust and uh, and uh, more like the the consequences. Um, but I have to say that um, being a female researcher certainly um, affects how how one can do her research or how one can position herself in in this field because, um, as Katja has already mentioned, uh, in most cases you are surrounded by mere researchers and mostly, of course, uh, older people, well, not older, but elderly people, I would say, uh, who are the well-established researchers in the field. And uh, from this perspective, I would say that Hungary is... Quite uh, traditional and maybe even patriarchic in in this sense because uh, even uh, at uh, at our uh, academy of sciences at the universities um, most of the teachers most of the researchers are males so uh, sometimes you have to. Gather your courage to <clears throat> to step up, to go to the first conference, to do something that, that is meaningful, and you have to and you have to have uh, self awareness, I would say, and and um, a lot of courage to to believe that you are uh, a worthy researcher and you are you can be their equal, I would say. And for me, that was a very hard lesson to learn. <laughs> And it took many, many uh, years, I would say, until I believe that I can be a, a real historian, of course, in quotation marks, a real historian and, uh, and an equal partner to uh, the older colleagues and, and the MIA colleagues, of course. But that's only my experience.
2: Yeah, I, I would I would mirror what Bori says, but I would like to actually go into the um, the aspect you mentioned, Amber, about like the gender gender disparity in the contributor list and also in the author and organizer list, right, of our uh, of our volume, and that was something that we discussed quite a lot among our organization team and when we we're publishing this volume because <laughs> we, you know, we kind of dug our own grave by calling this conference, if this is a woman, right, by organizing this conference under the title, if this is a woman, which of course already implied a, um, yeah, an emphasis on, on female experience. And from, I think we got more than like 90 contributions to participate in the conference. So we were really proud that this conference had such a resonance. Yeah. Um, but and I remember we were discussing this, we were, we were thinking like, oh, should we, do we have to make a quota? Like, should we, you know, and also it's us then interpreting people's gender identity and trying to, you know, figure out a way that, you know, you would have a, an acceptable um, distribution, so to speak, in an author or a presenter list. Um, so it was a discussion that we really, we, we never really, uh, we did solve it. You know, we, we kept the title of this is a woman um uh but it was definitely something that we thought about a lot and it uh, it was a really good uh in germany you say anstoß like denk anstoß it really made us think about what we are actually doing and again, what are the power dynamics in here, right? Because, I mean, I think that was a narrative that was existent also in, like, the 80s and the 90s, this thing of, you know, if you have gender studies, you're actually giving a lot of women, like, female researchers, also the space and, like, maybe, hopefully, also more supportive space to present their research, to speak with peers, which you might not have in a male-dominated academia. Um, um, So it was something that we, we, you know, we were... We didn't want to have a all-female conference, but we certainly wanted to say, okay, we really want this to be a space where, especially, younger women get to present their research um, in a supportive environment. Um, so that was a so thank you for pointing that out. That was a, <laughs> it touched on a spot that I think we're still at we're still thinking about when uh, when we talk about this book, when we talk about our work, yeah
1: yeah thank you thank you both for answering that and also for just kind of being so open uh, about an experience that i think a lot of us uh, women in academia feel and experience and never quite get past um so thank you for doing that both in the introduction to this text as well as, as here in this discussion today While we've started talking about some of these contributions, I kind of want to turn the direction there. Uh, We, of course, cannot cover all of them. It's a very rich contribution um, and collection of works that I think everyone should pick up and read. However, I want to try to tackle some of it in our discussion. The first uh, first section of the collection addresses theoretical approaches to gender and women in the study of the Holocaust. We very briefly addressed offers contributions uh, earlier. What else might readers find in this section?
0: So there's an article by Natalia Alexion. She's a quite well-known uh, Holocaust researcher. And she's writing about the so-called familial turn in Holocaust scholarship, which means um, shifting the focus onto uh gendered social organization of the family. And, of course, this was a very significant <clears throat> um, category in defining many women's and men's experiences during the Holocaust, and, of course, children's as well. So uh, this is an important um, aspect of uh, uh, the gender gendered uh, uh, examination of the Holocaust and this is basically a historiography so she goes through from the early times to uh, the most modern uh, contemporary volumes uh, of historians who were writing about um, this or that topic it doesn't even need to be about the family but she stresses always that the family is always there as a topic and an important topic in all of these uh, historiographical works so this is basically the second article uh, uh, or paper in our book. Um, yeah, that's it.
2: <laughs> and again, I think what's interesting in in her article is that she also kind of ex- like touches upon this this link that uh, one may make and questions this link when 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 one talks about family. Are we talking about women, right? Because family was, uh, it was and is, I guess, traditionally a, a space where, uh, well, domestic space, right, that is um, um, in which women function, so, or, or are asked to function. So, um, and she's questioning that, uh, that, uh, that equalization, like, do we, do we speak about women when we speak about family, which I think is linked to what we said before about um, what are we speaking about if we're speaking about gender? Are we only speaking about women? Or are we speaking about more? Or you know, it's, it's questioning the categories.
1: So the second part of your text moves on to examine gender as lived experience, focusing on the ways in which gender is performed under authoritarian regimes or occupation regimes. How might these two chapters in this section really help change the way that we as scholars think about gender and gender performances under authoritarian
2: regimes? Yeah, so we have two two articles in this section. One is um, by Agnes Laba. Uh, She's speaking about masculinities under occupation. and the other one is by uh, Eva Skorvankova, who's speaking about the no, new Slovak women, right? So the feminine ideal in uh, the regime of the Slovak state. Um, and uh, I mean, what, what Agnes Lama does is she's looking at um, shifts in how masculinity was conceptualized under German occupation in various European countries during World War II. So for example, Norway and France. Um, she's also looking at how, uh, yeah, this conception of masculinity and its expression in everyday life influenced women's self-conception and their place in an occupation society. Um, and so she's she's interestingly looking at you looking at both, right? So she she's bringing in this category of masculinity, but also seeing, okay, well, how does it compare to um, women's gender roles? And uh, I think important in her. Um, Her article is also that she's really looking at occupation as a category of analysis, which is something that's important for this volume as well, right? We're not just looking at um, um, persecuted groups, we're not just looking at, uh, we're definitely not looking at perpetrator um, society in our volume, but Agnes Laba is adding occupation as an interesting um, perspective.
0: And the second uh, uh, paper is by uh, Eva Skorvanková, as Katja has mentioned. And this article is, I found it really interesting when we were editing this book, uh, because it investigates how women were perceived, uh, uh, the ideal role of women was perceived uh, in the authoritarian Slovak state uh, between 1930 and 1945. So basically, Um, It is about how uh, the regime uh, started to propagate uh, a new woman, an ideal of a new woman, and uh, in which ways, in which media platforms this was propagated, and uh, of course, uh, since this was a very patriarchic society, uh, women had uh, to find their calling in the three keys, which was... Kinder, Küche, and Kirche, meaning children, children, having children, being in the family, uh, being in the kitchen, and being religious. So an ideal woman was a modest, uh, quiet uh, woman who was content with her life uh, as being a a mother and being uh, in the household. And of course, together with this, every deviation from this ideal was... uh, um, painted as something bad, uh, that is something unnecessary for uh, for this new uh, Slovak society.
1: In the third section of your book, contributors examine women's experiences in the camps. How do these contributions challenge some of the long-standing tropes that we think about when we think about gender within the camp system?
0: Okay, so uh, in this section, we have, uh, again, two articles. Uh, the first one is by Denisa Neshtiakova, who is our uh, uh, co-organizer and, of course, the co-editor of this book also. And uh, she examined uh, the role of mothers in uh, the labor camp of uh, Sered, which is basically uh, the main focus of her research. It has been in the past uh, couple of years. And uh, the role of the mothers is uh, uh, investigated through a very special lens, namely the testimony of their children. Um, of course, these testimonies were um, dismissed uh, for a very long time because they were given by children after the war. But uh, Denisa argues that uh, these uh, testimonies can still broaden our perspective on the Holocaust, and they can be very important when uh, we argue, uh, when we are when we are trying to um, reconstruct how these children experienced the wartime period and the Holocaust itself. And um, um, she uh, builds uh, on the family perspective and, um, <clears throat> of course, uh, as I mentioned, uh, she uh, during, in, through her article, she basically reinforces that uh, children's testimony are a very uh, important historical source. And she also... Um, From these testimonies, it turns out that women, of course, had to adapt once they were taken to the Seret camp, and they had to undertake other types of roles, which were probably uh, unfamiliar for them. Uh, They had been unfamiliar to them uh, in their previous life uh, before the camp. So this is a very interesting uh, contribution based on uh, a rather neglected historical source. And the second article is by Marina Zawadzka, who examined the experiences of women in the detainment camp of Ilava. And um, she concluded that uh, basically the experiences of women in the camp uh, were not significantly different from those of men. So, uh, except for, of course, uh, the labor allocation, because women had to do different kinds of uh, work in the camp than men, obviously.
2: And I think both of these, again, since they're about uh, labor camps in Slovakia, they they again focus on uh, our East Central Europe, right? They're bringing this perspective. And of course, by two female Slovak scholars also.
1: The fourth and fifth parts I'm going to kind of address together, um, but they both seem to look at the relationship between gender, power and resistance. This is, of course, based off of these contributions, an extremely complex phenomenon. Um, However, could you offer listeners some generalizations about
2: power structures and gender during the Holocaust? Yeah, so I think a question that all of these authors are, are looking at is a bit of a question of how much, you, know, you were mentioning it, Amber, how much power did women have um, during this time? And we're speaking, these contributions are speaking about women um, as uh, members of resistance organizations um, in occupied Poland. They're speaking of women as members of the Jewish councils in occupied Netherlands and occupied France. Um, they're speaking of non-Jewish women um, who are involved in the rescue of Jewish children in occupied Poland. Um, they're speaking of <laughs> they're speaking of um, uh, Jewish women who survived uh, Sobibor, and they're speaking of Jewish women who joined uh, Soviet partisans in in Lithuania. Right, so we have very complex, <laughs> as you have said, have very complex. Uh, topics in here, but it's basically always a question of how much power were women given in these situations. And linked to that is a question of uh, to what extent was this new situation under in, in wartime under occupation or in camps um, or in resistance activities, in which way did this constitute a, um, a break? Or a continuation of pre-war gender roles, right? So what are the what are the new spaces of action that opened up for women? And how do they how did they use these spaces of action? You know? I think that's basically the analytical category that can bind all of these um, articles together.
0: Should we also talk a bit about the content of these articles? Okay, so um, as Katja mentioned, this is a great diversity of articles and obviously of uh, women or female roles uh, during the Holocaust. Um, I think I will talk briefly about part four, which is about women in position of community leaderships. Uh, here we have two articles, one by Anna nadlin Lehrer, who um, studied uh, Zivia Lubetkin, a very famous um, uh, Zionist leader, and Hafka Folman Raban, uh, who was also uh, a part, of, member of the Zionist youth movement, and they both uh, participated in uh, resistance activities in the Warsaw Ghetto. Um, And she basically examined how uh, different positions women could hold in these egalitarian organizations before and during the Holocaust. And um, as Katja mentioned, uh, the continuation or the break from pre-war gender laws. Uh, The second article is written by Lauren Wastenhout, who uh, um, examined uh, two female Leaders, members of uh, Jewish councils, uh, one in the Netherlands and another one in France, um, Juliette Stern and Gertrude Fantin, and uh, how they, um, uh, what kind of uh, actions they could uh, take in a male dominated atmosphere. And neither of these articles argued that women were necessarily offered more spaces of action during the wartime. Uh, However, the authors uh, examined the extraordinary situations of women uh, who were in fact um, both on their own initiative and through the positions allotted to them able to offer significant contributions to uh, counteracting German persecution in uh, the official and underground structures.
1: The, the final two chapters engage sexuality and sexual violence during the Holocaust. I'm, I'm wondering if you might share with readers a little bit what listeners might glean from this section, and perhaps why this section uh, is, is part of a newer strain of historiography.
2: Hmm. so in this section we have two articles, one of them is by Marta Hervishko, who is um, yeah, examining um, Jewish, women, um, Jewish women's testimonies, so Jewish women who survived rape by local Ukrainians, and how these testimonies were used, were collected, but also how they were used in Soviet war crimes trials from the, um, from the 40s up to the 80s. And the second article is by Florian Zabranski, who is examining male Jewish teenage sexuality in Nazi Germany, um, as expressed in interviews and in uh, in memoirs. Um, I mean, they, they're very different articles. They're very different articles, and they're speaking about both of them are ostensibly have sexuality as a topic, but they're we don't think they're really. Yeah, it's it's hard to link them over the sexuality topic, right? Because they're actually coming from very different perspectives, and they're they're written from very different situations. So Marta Brischko's article is really interesting, actually, because she's looking at this um, this phenomenon, first of all, of uh, sexual violence in um, um, in juridical proceedings. Um, so first of all, how how is this even spoken about, right? How is this um, mentioned, how is this asked for by the, um, the prosecutors who were doing this research on um, on war crimes, but she's also just looking at how were these testimonies used um, in the whole complex of Soviet war crimes. It's a it's a it's a fascinating article actually, and it's it's a very new. I think she's doing very very new research. Um, and Florian Zambranski's article is um, is very much about the performativity of of male sexuality, um, and he's linking this this um, the idea of male sexuality with uh, yeah with with expressions of youth and and questions of belonging and identity um the way these these men are uh, are talking about it um and i think i mean amber you you were saying what what is yeah maybe what is new about these two um contributions and it's something that's mentioned in in Zabransky's article in particular and he's saying well you know we Maybe we're not comfortable talking about sexuality, right? And we can question why that is. And he's—it's—it's—it's it's, it's a fascinating article also because he's—he's <laughs> uh, mentioning a, uh, I think, an interaction he had, the, the author had, uh, with a professor of his, who said something like, "Oh, people don't want to interviewees don't want to speak about sexuality, right?" So we're ready. We're 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 handling a tab a taboo here or a supposed taboo. Um both maybe for the researchers working on this topic, but also for their so-called sort of historical subjects. And that's something that's also coming up in, in Marta Vrischko's article, right? She's saying she, she's basically saying, well, you know, sexuality wasn't really and definitely not sexually but sexual violence, wasn't really talked about that much. Um so where can we trace it um in these in these testimonies that were collected by these uh and these war crime units um, and where is it actually very explicitly mentioned and why is it explicitly mentioned
0: If I may add one more thing um, just to be very current uh, there is a tragic context of Marta's research because she's Ukrainian and we know that the war is going on in Ukraine and right now she's very very active um, holding lectures and giving talks about her research um, and uh, how it can be compared to what is going on today in Ukraine. So, this I, I had to mention this, I'm sorry, because this is, I think, very important uh, also from the perspective of our book.
2: Yeah. And of course, we you know we wrote our book. I think we finalized the manuscript in two thousand twenty. So we were <laughs> we were in the first wave of, co- of the Corona pandemic lockdowns in in Europe when we were finalizing this, and um, and so it's so interesting. Of course, again, also to see these articles and then okay, especially Marta's um, in light of what's happened now since February. It's 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 crazy. It's it's, it's fascinating to see what how one interp- can interpret. Um, let's say the overarching framework that one you know posits to write to write or to publish these books in differently depending on the situation. No.
1: Certainly and thank you for mentioning that, Bori. I would have actually said something had you not um because unfortunately we are seeing once again mass rape becoming part of um of wartime violence, and so it, Marta's work has become extremely uh, relevant for all the reasons that most of us don't want our research to become relevant. Um, so, I I kind of I've been staring at the cover of this book this entire time that we've been talking, um, and also the entire time that I was reading this book. And I was wondering if you can tell me a little bit about the women on the cover.
0: Yes, this is actually um, a good question because I also have the book here in in my hand. And this picture was chosen by Denisa, especially because she was basically the, in quotation marks, the mother of this conference. And uh, the conference took place in Slovakia. She's a Slovak. So um, she chose this picture because the women in the picture are Slovaks. And in the first uh, page, you can see, uh, you can read uh, the description of the photograph, which I am going to do so now. So these women are the Hönig sisters uh, from Preshov. And the picture was taken in 1941. And uh, the sisters are Jolana, Regina, or Regina, Magda, Anna, Ilona, and um, Irena. And uh, Jolana was in Auschwitz for three years and she survived. Regina was deported in uh, 1944 and she unfortunately perished. Magda was among the first deportees to Auschwitz in 1942. Anna uh, was hiding near Presel, but later on she was uh, deported and she also died. Ilona uh, was hiding with Anna and unfortunately she was also murdered. And Irana was deported to Auschwitz in 1942, and this is a photo from uh, from the Yad Vashem photo archives.
1: Thank you. Um, the The contributions individually to this text are all well thought out, well written, um, and when taken together, they offer a very clear view of the current literature on gender and the Holocaust. This collection will certainly prompt further research on this topic, um, as it's already got my intellectual juices flowing. One of the many perks of editing a collection is that you become familiar with the developing landscape of a particular topic. So I'm wondering if you might be willing to share with listeners today what you think some are the newer potential avenues for further inquiry into the relationship between gender and the Holocaust as experienced and remembered.
2: I think this is a great question. And uh, (laughs) I don't know what uh, answer you're going to come up with now, but uh, (laughs) I find it very difficult, uh, difficult to um, to predict, difficult to think about. I think that the male experiences will be focused on more. I think this is something that like f- goes into, you know, first we say, okay, we're going to work out the female experiences more and then we, and then at one point it will go into the male, male experiences and we'll have a very, you know, analytic uh, framework of, of many different aspects. Um, but I'm, I'm excited to see what people are doing. Like um, obviously, not everyone um, who was at the conference or presented at the conference published in our volume. And I know we have there are some people who now you know finished their PhD and I'm really excited to see what they're what they're going to get up get up to doing. Yeah. Um,
0: I also believe that uh, the LGBTQ or sexual minorities is a very Let's see, fashionable topic when it comes to gender and the Holocaust. So uh, there's a lot of research going on in this area, and I would say what uh, Natalia Alexion was working on um, or, or writing on the family uh, as a unit and uh, the, the role of family and the fate of family members. This is also, I think, um, um, it's it will it will Get more um, uh, research, I believe. And one more thing, which I don't think we addressed in this book, but I think is important, um, is uh, the role of um, uh, female perpetrators. And actually, um, the professor who wrote our preface under our pet, she is uh, doing research on this topic. Uh, she already, she has already published a volume about uh, this topic in, I think it's also in English, but uh, definitely in Hungarian. Uh, she was uh, examining the role of uh, uh, female perpetrators in the Hungarian AeroCross movement, which was an anti-Semitic uh, extremist party. So I think this, this is also um, an important uh, aspect of, uh, of the gender and the Holocaust.
1: Yeah, I uh, 100 percent agree. It's such, um, you know, you, you mentioned throughout the text and the contributors mentioned throughout the text that this is something that really sparked in the 1980s. Um, But even though it's, you know, 40 years old, it's still relatively underdeveloped. So there are so many different avenues one can take for research. Um, So I hope that listeners pick up a copy of this, uh, take a look at these contributions, and perhaps it uh, makes them think of some other questions that they might have of the relationship between gender and the Holocaust. We've taken up a lot of your time today. So I want to wrap up our interview with my kind of traditional closing question on New Bucks Network. And that's what are both of you working on or up to now?
2: <laughs> okay, I'll say. I'm uh, <laughs> in a uh, <laughs> um, full-time non-academic job and trying to find a balance between... Um, Working on academic content and making that content, I think, accessible to to a broader public and relevant to a broader public and relevant to contemporary um, societal issues that we're talking about. And um, um, and I think an interview like this, um, hosted by you, Amber, that um, speaks about a very I mean academic publication. I hope that that could also be a a, a contribution because you know this work is valuable if we can question its relevance to to our lives today and our society today and if it can make us you know critically reflect on what we're what we're doing, what we're living, what we're um, perpetuating.
0: I, on the other hand, as you mentioned, have a baby. So <laughs> right now I'm a full-time mom. Uh, I finished my PhD last year, so um, my baby was born just one month later and I thought that okay, I'm going to take this one year off and then from September, hopefully I will start a postdoc. Uh, so right now I'm just sitting at home and dealing with some earlier publications that I have to edit or uh, send back to the editors. Um, plus I'm working on a book right now, but this is a secret, so don't tell it to anyone. It's going to be published, <laughs> published in Hungarian. So unfortunately it's not for the... Uh, Um, uh, Western or European or uh, American market, but uh, I I believe it's a very, it it will be a very important contribution because we don't really have um, a popular history uh, volume about the uh, Holocaust in Hungary. Uh, not written by a Hungarian historian at least, and I don't even know about uh, anyone else who has ever written a popular history book about the Holocaust in Hungary. So this is a a void that I'm trying to fill right now. (laughs) So this is what I'm working on.
1: That sounds amazing because it's certainly, I think, something given the current politics in Hungary uh, that they need a popular history of the Holocaust. Um, so thank you for doing that. And it's never just hanging out with your children. It's That's hard work in its own, its own right. Um, and of course, uh, I thank you again for reminding us, Katya, how important it is that we make our research and make academia um, accessible and then make it have... Relevance. Otherwise, we're just in a room having a conversation with one another, and that doesn't get much done. So, I want to thank you both now for joining us on New Books in Jewish Studies.
0: Thank you very much for inviting us. Yeah, thank
1: you so
2: much, Amber. Thanks.
1: For the listeners out, today, out there today, if today's discussion really piqued your interest, you can pick up a copy of If This is a Woman, Studies on Women and Gender in the Holocaust directly from Academic Studies Press, or you can order a copy from your local bookstore.